we wanted a healthy infant with a private adoption agency and we found out through random or divine slash divine um, conversation with our social worker that there was a baby with Down syndrome placed in the agency. And I didn't want to hear that because I did not want a baby with Down syndrome. That wasn't the plan. Then fast forward, okay, we'll pursue this. We'll look into it. And then we're excited about it. And then we find out that she has a congenital heart defect and a lung condition that's incredibly severe. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is the mom to three magical kids, Macy, Truly, and August, and wife to the one and only Josh Avis. She lives with her family in Southern California and is an author, podcaster, Instagram influencer, and chief visionary officer at The Lucky Few, a nonprofit on mission to on a mission to create more spaces where everyone belongs. She is also a New York Times bestselling author with her new book, Different, is a great thing to be. She loves to travel, cook, and search for treasures at yard sales. I'm pleased to present Heather Avis. Heather, are you ready to share your story of hope? I'm ready. Thank you for that. It's great. Oh, well, it is so great to have you on the show today. And I just have to ask you because my husband and I lived in Southern California and we were, when we were first married. And we loved yard sales too. And I have to say, Southern California yard sales are the best because mm-hmm. there's so much great stuff at them. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what was one of the best finds you've ever had at a yard sale? Oh gosh, that's such a hard one. There's been a lot. <laughs> um, and Southern California is great because we can yard sale almost year round. You know, like there's not a, our winters are so mild. Yes. And we do mostly year round. Um, some of my favorites would be antlers. Anytime I score antlers, I'm pumped. I have like a pair of bull horns oh my that I got. <laughs> Anytime someone sees them like on a Zoom call or something, they ask like, are you from Texas? Like a pair of longhorns. I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> and I got them for $10. That felt like oh an incredible steal. <laughs> and I can really just go around my house and like point at things that I got. Like I can, I can name the prices of everything in my house almost. Um, that's a good one. Another one that I, that was fun. That was like less antique and collectible is I got, uh, the essential oil company living young living is an essential uh-huh. oil company. They have a starter kit that is like $125 or something. And then you can get a diffuser along with it. And the lady at the yard sale had no idea what she was selling. And I got it for a dollar. Are you kidding? <laughs> the me? whole kit untouched with the diffuser. I know. <laughs> That was a good one because <laughs> I love, because I love us in oil. So I was like pumped on that. <laughs> that is awesome. You're like a dollar. Okay. Okay. Here, sold. Let me hand you my dollar before you change your mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is awesome. I think some of our greatest scores, of course, my kids were really little when we lived there and we were just cranking through clothing, you know, the oh, three yeah. to six, six to nine, nine to 12. And it was like everybody in Southern California would have their token one child. 
and then sell all these name brand clothes for 25, 50 cents. And I was like, this is the best because I just would take them, give them to my kids, wash, you know, of course, wash them. But it was fantastic. And it it really helped because we were living on quite a tight budget when we first got married. So that's garage sailing. Can't say enough about it. It's, it's so fun. I know it's the best. And it's true. I'm, I'm kind of ruined in that. Even like I'll go to a place like Target and they'll have things on sale. I'm like, yeah, but I can get this. If I just hold out, <laughs> I'll find it at a yard sale. Like we a coffee pot, our coffee pot broke. And you know, we can afford a new coffee pot. It's not a, a financial issue. And my husband's like, can we just buy a coffee pot? I'm like, just give me a Saturday. Give me a Saturday. <laughs> if I don't get it this Saturday, and sure enough, I got like a brand new in the box coffee pot for three dollars. So I come home. Are you I'm like, kidding? oh my! I God. told you. I told you we could hold out. It's just so. Sometimes my husband's like, "Are you serious? Can you just spend ten dollars on a pair of shorts for your daughter?" I'm like, "No, because on Saturday I'll find them for fifty cents." <laughs> so it's, maybe it's become. Um, I don't know. It's taken over me a little bit. <laughs> it's so fun there's something about the hunt and the find Mm -hmm. and then you're like oh my goodness look at what a price i spent and then you're right it does ruin you for buying things full price totally can't do it i can't do it i know i I tell my husband like i'm i spend hundreds to save us thousands so don't (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness well we could talk about garage selling all day but that's not what we're here right But I am excited that we get to talk today a little bit about the ups and downs of your life and just the 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 crazy circumstances that put you on the path to adopt your beautiful three children. So why don't you take me back in your marriage and how kids just didn't come the way you thought they would? Yeah, my husband and I got married really young. I was 20 and he was 23 and I had a year left in college and we finished, I finished that year. Um, we moved to Hawaii. My husband are kind of adventurous and kind of up for anything. So we're like, this is, we have this one time in our life where we have no obligations and let's just go. So we thought we'd stay forever. And that turned into six months. And, um, (laughs) and then we were back in California and I had this plan all along that I, like I wanted to get married young and I wanted three kids and all before I was 30. And I would be that like young hip mom dropping her kids off at high school or whatever. And, um, I like that picture and I can totally picture you doing it too. (laughs) (laughs) Also be the hip mom, just a little older, um, when high school comes around. So when I was about 23, we thought like, let's try to start a family. And I thought I'd get pregnant right away. And I didn't get pregnant right away. And six months in, I was pretty panicked and, you know, all the doctors and experts like six months is not a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're trying to get pregnant, it's time turns into like dog years almost, Mm -hmm. you know, so six months feels much, much longer. And Mm -hmm. a year, I remember thinking six months in, if I am not pregnant in a year, but that cannot be my story. Like I would be, I would feel devastated. And then every month ticking by, ticking by. Um, and so we started down a path towards trying to figure out why I couldn't get pregnant naturally. And one thing led to another, led to another. And I was eventually after a couple of years marked with, or diagnosed with, um, un- like an unexplainable infertility. So if there wasn't a, there's these few factors on why it's probably hard to get pregnant, but people can still get pregnant with those factors. So there's something else going on and your best bet is adoption or in vitro fertilization. And so, um, that was a real 
devastating moment for me. I, it was the thing I wanted more than anything in life to be a mom. It was the thing I wanted. I was desperate for it. And it was so frustrating because everything was out of my control and it felt even more frustrating because in my opinion at the time, I did everything right. I got married. Um, and this is a lot of information, but I was still a virgin when I got married. And so I like felt like I did that right. I had a full-time, my husband and I both had full-time careers before we started to try to get pregnant. We were homeowners, you know, like all the things it's like, I, everything is lined up. I'm the most deserving person I know. And I was actually teaching high school at the time. And I had students who would come to me telling me they were pregnant. I had friends who were like, I knew were in really, really tricky marriages who were like, guess what? We're pregnant. And I just kept thinking, this is so unfair. Mm-hmm. I'm, I should be pregnant. I'm the most deserving here, which is, I mean, that's a whole other episode <laughs> things to unpack. Right. Um, but that's just showing like the, how all consuming it was for me. I couldn't even see outside of that desperation that I had. Um, and it turned me pretty judgmental as I, as you can hear uh, and bitter. And, um, it was hard. It was a, infertility is a really difficult path to, to be on for, for people who want to have kids. Yeah. So let me ask you, just, just dive a little deeper. Were you ever mad enough that you just vented at God? Oh, for sure. Yes. (laughs) Um, often, you know, and I think it's a season where I think I, um, I grew up in the, in the church. I grew up in a non-denominational evangelical church Mm -hmm. my whole life. Um, and it was a, like moments of realizing, looking back and realizing how good God's grace is in that it didn't, I don't think God was like, I know God wasn't frustrated at me or disappointed in me. It was more gentle, like, it's okay. You know, like a parent to a kid throwing a fit, like yeah. you hold them if you're a good parent, right? Yeah. <laughs> or if you're having a moment of being, of parenting in a way that is helpful, um, like patient, calm, just letting them work it out. So yes, there were moments of um, out loud, like shaking my fist at God. This is so unfair. This is so unfair. Yeah. Mm. For sure. You know, it's interesting as you describe that. I, I wrote a, I wrote a book about my journey when my kids were diagnosed and, and I described myself like a tantruming two-year-old banging on God's mm. door, you know, saying, no, 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. this is not in my plan. And so it, it sounds very, familiar as you yeah. describe that, you know, and I, I think that's the best way to describe it is that God loves us just like we love our kids. And, and he's looking at us going, it's going to be okay. I can see down, down the line here. I can see down the, a couple of years and you're going to be okay. You're going to be happy, but I know you're not happy right now. Just hang yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we actually, I mean, as the story goes, we pursued adoption and we went down the path towards that. And, um, we were looking for a healthy infant and my, my understanding on the complexities of adoption have grown significantly. This was like fi- almost 15 years ago, 14, 15 years ago. Um, I have changed in my perspectives on adoption drastically from then, which, you know, you can't know what you don't know, right? That's the whole right. point of no, life it's true. is learning and growing and experiencing things and hoping that you're open enough to be, be growth minded and continue to, to grow as a human and become better. So we wanted a healthy infant with a private adoption agency so we could control that to have a healthy infant. 
and we found out through random or divine slash divine um, conversation with our social worker that there was a baby with Down syndrome placed in the agency. And I didn't want to hear that because I did not want a baby with Down syndrome. That wasn't the plan. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward, okay, we'll pursue this. We'll look into it. And then we're excited about it. And then we find out that she has a congenital heart defect and a lung condition that's incredibly severe. She might be on medication her whole life. She may be on oxygen her whole life. She may not live to be older than five years old. And that, and at that moment, finding all that out, was even more of like a shake my fist at God. And and the conversation was, I came to grips with my infertility. I came to grips with adoption. I came to grips with Down syndrome. And this is what you're wanting me. Like this, this is it. You want me to bring home a baby who might die in five years? Are you even kidding me? I mean, I was so, I like, I, I had just reached another point of, oh my gosh, what like, or, oh my God, God, what are you doing (laughs) here? Um, And that was definitely a moment of, probably my most frustrated moment in maybe in my life with the Lord was in the, in that, that time. And then, Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask what did, did you feel like he answered you at the moment? Did he give you peace or any understanding or enlightenment or just keep going? Or what do you feel his answer was to you at that point when you're just at your lowest and your angriest? In those moments, and there was a good time there where really my greatest was frustration was there was nothing. I was, I needed something from God and I just wasn't hearing it. So no, there wasn't this like moment of a whisper of peace. It was a decent amount of time of like, just show me something, you know, and doing like, all right, if then with God, right? Like the idea, if you're, if you grew up in a Christian space, the idea of like fleece, like laying out a fleece. Um, if this, then this, if, if this happens, then it's a yes, if this happens then it's a no. And it was always like confusing. Um, and then when we, we had a moment, we were like up and down. So we had said yes. And then found out all this medical stuff. And then we were panicky and then, okay, yes. And then no. And then yes. And then no. And our social worker was like, what if you meet with the cardiologist and hear more from the doctor's mouth on what exactly is happening with her heart and her prognosis? So we did that. And it ended up being, we weren't supposed to meet the baby who's our daughter now, but she happened to be there because things were running late. And it was like this whole, everything changed and there's this baby and I am holding her, but like trying to be really protective of myself because I don't know that this is my baby or not. And it wasn't a moment of like, oh, this is my baby. Like that didn't even happen. It's like, she's, she's adorable and that's great. And I could see myself loving her, but I also am not, I didn't have that, you know, like, oh, this is it. Um, And we went, my husband and I got only bad news from the cardiologist. It was just a lot of like, I mean, he said she could live to be five, maybe as old as eight. Um, She's, if her heart can't, if her lung condition can't be resolved, it's very serious. We can fix her heart, but the lungs will not be fixed when her heart is fixed. It was like a whole thing. So it was all bad news. And we left the hospital like, oh my gosh, now what? You know, like we knew we didn't want to say yes. We knew we couldn't say no. So there's this like gray space that I had, I think I've been avoiding that this, this both and the tension of that middle ground. I think I'd spent most of my life trying to avoid that. Um, it's a yes or no, it's black or white. And I think that's a lot of upbringing in a church setting too, is like the, it's like very dualistic and there's, it's yes, no, it's sin. It's not sinner. It's black. It's white. It's those things. Um, and I think there's space for that in our faith 
journey, but also that God is a God of both and, and tension and gray and all those spaces. So that was really my first time diving into that. Although when you dive into something, you're doing it usually by choice. So it was more like a shoving (laughs) into these spaces. (laughs) And we drove to Costco of all places and we, cause we needed to run errands and we're just in the parking lot. Hysterical. Like what, what are we supposed to do? Cause we were three weeks into having found out about this baby and making this decision. And that was a moment where God, I had like a vision, um, and I was overwhelmed this, with this idea of here is a package that is wrapped beautifully and God's handing it to you and you unwrap it. You're excited. You unwrap it and you say, oh, this isn't what I wanted. And then you hand it back to God mm. and wait a second, who does that? Like the, the bigness and goodness of God is so mysterious and outside of any, we can barely touch it as humans, even as image bearers, right? Like we can barely touch the bigness of God and the goodness of God. And that moment, I shared that with my husband. And it, and then in addition to that, it was, if, if you get to raise this baby for a day, I'll cry or a lifetime. What an honor, you know, what an honor. And so, um, fast forward, she's 13, totally healthy. But you like, we entered into this journey of front row seats to miracles and she has open heart surgery and she's healed of this lung condition. And you know, 13 years old, totally healthy. There's clean bill of health. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. So it's just, um, guy, it's just been, I always say Macy was my scariest and my best. Yes. And there's not a competition. And when you have multiple children, you know, like who's more important or anything that people who have multiple kids know this. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but she has been my game changer. She changed the game for me forever. And I, I am so grateful. And you think back to like, when you get that, when parents get a diagnosis for a disability or whether it's Down syndrome or autism or anything, right? Like you find out that the plan you had for your life and your child and your family is going to be drastically shifted. And there's a mourning and a grief there um, of the loss of what was. But I think what I've learned over the years, especially in talking to so many parents, is you have to separate that mourning, the grief, of the loss of what was from your child, right? Like we, we're not, we don't need to be grieving human beings with infinite possibilities. We need to be grieving the loss of what we were holding so tightly to. And I think when we can separate that, there's a moment of full of coming full circle, which I'm sure has been your experience too. I talk about it. My wording, my language around it is coming to the other side of things and you're going to get to the other side. And be gentle with yourself and go through what you need to go through to get there. But you will get there and you will get there a better human. It's not easy. It's not like things are are easy. It's going to be freaking hard for the whole time. (laughs) But hard is not hard. Like hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. And and then if when you can figure that out and sit in that tension and to hold it all at the same time, um, you get this glimpse of divinity that I don't, I don't think I would have seen it otherwise. I think I'd go my entire life not seeing it otherwise. Yeah. So, so she, she changed it all for me. You know, she's the gift of my life for sure. Yeah. It's amazing how these kids can change our perspective mm-hmm. on what's truly important. I, I think, um, and it's, 
it kind of, cause, cause you lost that dream of being the hip mom, dropping your kids off at high school, you know, but, but think of how much you gained Mm. and, 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 and God can see that perspective, but we can't. And so it's that trusting that I hope this turns out okay in the end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know though. And that's, that is really, really hard. Um, I love how you called it the other side coming out on the other side. I've always compared it to, um, Moses and the children of Israel being backed up into the, you know, to the Red Sea and going, now what? Mm-hmm. And then the Red Sea parts and they're like, okay, well, <laughs> I never would have considered this a possibility, but I'll go that way. But you get on the other side and you still have to go through a wilderness, right? Right. right. <laughs> so, you know, it's not the path you thought you would take, but okay. And it's, and I think that no matter what, our lives are going to be hard. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other thing too. When you talk to parents or people who are having kids for the first time or whatever, it's like, dude, parenting's just the hardest. I mean, it is beautiful and incredible and it's such an honor. And I'm grateful every day that I get to be a mom and it's the hardest gig in the world, raising another human disability aside. I mean, I, <laughs> when I was, a, I used to be a teacher and I worked with a woman who had, um, this is before I had kids who had two sons and one, her oldest son had down syndrome. And her, her second youngest, two years younger did not. And they were both adults. And she, I remember her saying, my kid with Down syndrome is a million times easier than my kid without Down syndrome, who, you know, you can say it kind of lightheartedly, but, but her son without Down syndrome was struggling with drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it's like that, not that that can't happen to people with Down syndrome, but I don't know anyone with Down syndrome that struggles with drugs and alcohol. And I don't think that's likely for my kids with Down syndrome, but my daughter without Down syndrome, when I think about the future, I'm not super worried about my kids with Down syndrome. (laughs) I'm thinking about my middle daughter who doesn't have a disability, like entering high school, you know, that, that's what keeps me up at night because parenting is just hard. Yeah. Yeah. I know now that my kids are getting older when they were young, they were so, so super hard. And and those beginning years were just difficult and challenging getting my kids to sleep through the night Mm. and just learning to communicate when that process didn't come from their brain out of their mouth. We we had to figure out different ways to communicate. It was really, really hard. I kind of call it my survival going through survival years. But now that they're older and I've got other typical kids going through these major life decisions, I'm like, oh, (laughs) in some ways it's easier. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To have these these kids that don't have to make those decisions, you know, they're just going to be happy and do their simple little life. And like you said, you don't have to worry about drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. I'm like, great. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sweet little souls that I'm I'm thankful to have you in my home that I get to rub shoulders with you every day, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. So it's good to get a little bit of perspective with with these kiddos. They're amazing. They're wonderful. Um so tell me the rest of your story. Oh yeah, you there's more. Two wonderful kids. <laughs> yeah. So Macy enters our life and like I said, she's totally healed now. And so she has open heart surgery, um, a month after coming home. In fact, our first day as parents, so Macy came home, she was just a week shy of four months old and she came home and the very next morning. So we were less than 24 hours in this gig. We had a doctor's appointment with her heart surgeon to schedule her open heart surgery. Wow. <laughs> so we're just like loading her in the car and driving to the hospital. And 
I, people are like, Oh my gosh, how do you do that? And first of all, it's our first experience, right? This is our normal. And, um, I always tell parents, you do the thing you have to do for your kid. Like you would do it. When people, when people have looked at us and said, I could never like, Oh no, you could, and you would, and you would be great at it. Like you'll, you'll do it because it's your kid. And that's what we do for our kids. Yeah. Um, and so then she had heart surgery, uh, a month later and did well with that. And then still was on oxygen and two and a half years after that, um, we went to our pulmonology appointment and the pulmonologist came in and said her, it, her pulmonary hypertension is gone, take off her oxygen. And it was just like this miraculous moment. Um, and so those first, I wanted my kids real close together in age, but we were pretty in it. Um, as parents, those first few years, we were at the doctor a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of doctor's appointments and therapies. And those first few years, when you have a child with a disability, it's, an, it can be very intense. Yes. Um, and we got to a point after her oxygen was off that we wanted to start the process again for adoption. And we went with, again, my, my opinions and understanding, I should say, my understanding around adoption had shift was shifting. So we went with, um, our County. So it'd be like adopting through foster care. Mm. And we were open to almost any child. Um, and we got a call about a year later for a little girl who was five months old and didn't have any disabilities or health issues and no drug exposure in utero, which is all pretty unheard of for a County adoption. Wow. Um, and it was our, we were just going to say yes to any child that came our way. That was our first call. And so that our daughter came home a few weeks later, her name is, we named her truly and truly we were told she's Hispanic. Then when she came home, um, she's African-American and Guatemalan. So we found out some more things about her after she entered our lives. And truly is one of those kids that's just, she's like incredibly gorgeous and charming and good at everything. (laughs) So I've got like my daughter, Macy, who is also all those things, but in a different way. And Macy took her first step at almost, she was two years, 10 months old when she took her first step and truly was nine months old when she took her first step. They took their first step in the same calendar year. Is that hilarious? So all of a sudden I'm parenting for the, it felt like for the first time again, which I think is everyone's experience. When you bring a second child home, Mm -hmm. you are different as a parent and your kid is a different kid. So, but she was so different from Macy that she like really threw me for a loop. Um, and then there's also trauma is the birthplace of adoption. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how old your child is when they come to you. That is the birthplace of, for an adoption story. And so learning to hold that and navigate that with my daughter, um, and learn, we're still figuring that learning that I think that'll be a lifelong thing, but truly rocked my world. She's a, she's a feisty little world changer and she's, yeah, she's just an incredible little girl, really great sister. And then fast forward a couple of years and we found out, we got a call from a woman, um, or we found out through a friend about a woman who was pregnant and got an in utero diagnosis for down syndrome. And he had a, the baby had a congenital heart defect as well. And she was feeling um, that her best option for her son was to create an adoption plan. So we got in touch with her. She was seven months pregnant and we said yes to that baby. And he was born in December. Um, Our son, August with down syndrome and a congenital heart defect, but he came home right after like two days, three days old out of the hospital. And he's had heart surgery and he's doing great. And he's, um, maybe one of the coolest kids that's will ever live. (laughs) He's like, he's so, he's just unreal. He's such a cool little guy. So that's, 
he's seven now. So my kids are seven, 10 and 13. And that's this, that's the family story in a nutshell. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to have Heather tell us a little bit more about adoption and about her new New York Times bestselling book. So stay tuned. Are you looking for a gift for a friend, sister, or mother who is really struggling right now and you're not sure what to get them? It's hard for me to sometimes find those gifts. And so today I'm so excited to tell you about this booklet, The Mother's Might. It's a perfect, simple, inexpensive gift you can give your friends, your family, your sisters, anyone that you want to share this story with. And it will be meaningful. It's not just a little piece of candy that they eat and forget. It's something they can read over and over again because so often we, as women, feel alone and overwhelmed and burdened and like there's so many things weighing upon our shoulders. And what I love about this story is that it points us to Jesus Christ in our times of trouble, that he understands us, he loves us, he knows what we're going through and he is more than willing to help us bear that burden. And I love that about this story, that it gives not only me hope, but it will convey that sense of hope for all of you. So get your copy of it today, TamaraKAnderson.com slash store. You can order one, two, 10, 20, however many you want. And we will get those to you so you can get them distributed. All right, now on to our show. And we're back. I've been interviewing Heather Avis, who is a New York Times bestselling author, an amazing wife and mother, and she has adopted three incredible children, two of whom have Down syndrome. And we've been talking about her incredible journey with adoption. Now, you mentioned a couple of times that your perspective on adoption has changed. Tell me, tell me how it changed through the years and what people should know going into it. This is a big, a very long conversation. So I'll try to keep it brief and um, maybe listeners can do a little bit more research and digging and maybe I can give you some resources you can put in your show notes or something, but fantastic. I'd love that. um, When I started the adoption process, it was about me getting a baby. That was, that was the goal. There was a baby who would be my baby. And yes, a woman or a family was attached to that baby. And if at best, maybe we can have pictures and letters because that'll be good for my baby to know a little bit about where they came from. But, but it was, I was the center of the story. Um, and over the years in getting to know birth families and birth moms and adoptees, really the conversation has changed so much for me in the last couple of years and interacting with quite a few adult adoptees and quite a few transracial adult adoptees because my husband and I are Caucasian and our middle daughter truly is African-American and Guatemalan. So she just presents um, as black and learn, hearing those voices and realizing that we have in the United States, especially, and really in the church, created a narrative around adoption where adoptive parents are the center of the story and they are the heroes. And that is incredibly damaging for adoptees and very, very damaging and tragic for birth parents. Mm -hmm. And so we need to create a narrative that what we're trying to do is keep families intact is goal one. Um, And how do we come alongside birth families as step one for them to be able to parent and keep that family unit intact? Mm -hmm. And if that's not an option, then we can look at 
like kinship adoption. And if that's not an option, then let's look at adoption within their same race. And if that's not an option, then we can talk about white people adopting kids outside their race. Um, but always with the narrative of there is this family that will be so incredibly important to your child their entire lives. And that is not a threat. That is not a threat. And so there's a triad of adoptive family adoptee and birth family, and no one should have more power there, right? Like, so we've got to shift that narrative from adoptive parents being these like incredible heroes who do this heroic thing. Um, because that's, it's not a, it's not a true story and it leaves really, it leaves the child who's at the center of it all, um, in a, in a predicament, right. And, and makes them feel like, so what I'm, I was like a cause, like I'm a victim and none of those things should be true for, for your child. So that's kind of the, so it's kind of shifting the focus from you to the child doing what's mm -hmm. best for the child. Yeah. The focus really needs to be. Yeah. And if you can have birth families involved, we have a great relationship with my oldest and my youngest birth families. And, you know, there was a time in the beginning, like I said, I wanted to like pick up my baby and run. Um, but my baby is her baby. And again, that tension, that middle ground. And when, you know, like for my son, when he celebrates a birthday or something on social media, because social media plays a whole new role in all of it, oh, his right. birth mom talks about her son, like happy birthday to my son. Mm -hmm. And that can't be threatening to an adoptive parent because that's her son. He will be her son for his whole life, for her whole life, mm -hmm. because that's who he is. And so if as an adoptive parent, if that's something that's threatening to you, I think that just, just take a step back. Um, be mindful and prayerful and dig deep and create relationships with people in that adoption triad to get your heart in a place of um, seeing adoption for what it really should be. Because even, even that idea of like, I've heard people in church spaces say, you know, adoption is, is the gospel message and adoption is the heart of God. And yes, we've been adopted into God's kingdom. But to say that is to say that God, the heart of God and the gospel message is to sever relationships it's the opposite. So we can't ignore that starting point. And when I think about my kids, it's that weird space that we're not ever, that's always gonna be mysterious of plan A was never for my kids to be my kids because God is not a God of destruction. He's a God of wholeness. So God wanted these families to stay intact. God didn't set someone up to sever a relationship. That's not who God is. And then things happen and then there's restoration, you know, and then all these things happen that are so far outside our mystery. So it was plan B and always supposed to be, which feels contradictory, but it's, you just got to sit in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and be comfortable with it. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's, that's a cool perspective on adoption that I, I guess I'd never considered before, but I think it's really neat that, that you've been able to gain that perspective as you've uh, gone through this experience. And I think it's really, really cool that now you're a voice for it, right? You're yeah. a voice for that different perspective and the importance of putting the kids where they most need to be. Yeah, exactly. It's gotta, it's gotta be about those kids. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so let me ask you, um, this, this whole journey has led you to the lucky few 
this organization that you're the chief visionary officer. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that and then kind of segue into the books that you have written and why, why that message is so important. Yeah. So we, when Macy was about three, we started when an Instagram came out, Uh, maybe she's four. We started an Instagram account like most, like a lot of people did. And we decided to share Macy to share our experience of raising a child with Down syndrome through a picture a day. Um, really, to uh, we talk a lot in it's the Lucky Few about shifting narratives. There's a narrative around raising a child with Down syndrome or having a child with Down syndrome that's usually negative um, and scary and like all these things that we, as we were parenting her, realized this is not, this narrative that we've been told is not true. She's pretty incredible. And our, our experience is really great. And people need to see like air quotes, normalize raising a child with Down syndrome. So it was representation is important. So it's just a picture a day. And then through a series of random events that it kind of blew up and we ended up with a bunch of followers. And so all these people are listening to the things I'm saying and watching the pictures I'm posting. And, um, and so I started using a hashtag, the lucky few. I just always felt overwhelmed. Like there's so few people who have Down syndrome and who get to raise a child with Down syndrome. And those of us who do are so lucky. And this idea of feeling lucky um, or blessed, feeling so lucky that I get to have a kid with Down syndrome and meeting all these families who have that same feeling. And, but their initial feeling wasn't luck. So shifting that narrative. So we started saying, like using a hashtag, the lucky few. The first 50 pictures or so is Macy. And then I started noticing, because you can click on a hashtag, that there were other people using it and it was people always connected to Down syndrome. And then it just kind of exploded. And so the lucky few, the idea and the saying has become pretty synonymous with Down syndrome in the community. Um, You'll see it on, if you're in the Down syndrome space, chances are you've heard that phrase and you'd have no idea who I am is very likely. (laughs) But that led to opportunities uh, and I was blogging the whole time that Macy was little and um, I got an opportunity to write a book. I, a publisher approached me and asked if I'd be interested in writing a book. And so I wrote that and called it The Lucky Few was the title. And basically the what I've shared with you, it's a memoir of infertility through August coming, our son August coming home. And and then that just kind of, op- I found myself just in this space of, oh gosh, people are listening to what I'm saying and we need to um, hold that with humility and integrity and be intentional in this space. And so we, we are social media influencers, which is like a weird, it's like a real thing. It's, it's not, it's complicated, (laughs) (laughs) but we are influencers in our own regard in hopes of shifting the down syndrome narrative. Um, and then we started a podcast three years ago and I've written another book called scoot over, make some room, which is more like a manifesto about what I've learned in being a mother to children with disabilities and um, being a mother to a daughter who is a different race than me and just finding that there's all these spaces in our world that we need to make room for those who are missing. And it's a lot of the spaces that I had been in prior to having kids. And then always, so my, my dream in when I was a kid was to be a children's book author. I remember in fourth grade thinking, this is what I want to do. And how do I do this? You know? And then my agent and I would talk a lot about like the timing, the timing. And then when the timing felt right, we, I did, I wrote a children's book. <laughs> and, and thank you. That's your New York, New York and Times it's bestseller. a New York times bestseller. Yeah. So that came out June of this year and it 
was this book that when my kid, when Macy came home, I remember going to Barnes Noble and looking in the bookshelves for books about adoption and disability and Down syndrome specifically. And I get, this was almost 13 years ago and it was just dire. I mean, there was very, I could think of one book about Down syndrome that, and it wasn't for kids. And there's been more books over the years, but I wanted to write this book that I wanted my kids to read. Um, that I wanted them to ask for every night at bedtime because of the message. And the message is the, the main character is a little girl named Macy and she has down syndrome, although it's not ever mentioned in the book. Um, but she's a little girl who's different and sometimes hasn't been in, hasn't been accepted into certain spaces because of her differences. And she's used that her differences to teach other kids, um, to continue to show up and to show kids that everybody's different. And so we, it's that, that idea that I, as a child, I felt different. I, I feel like everyone, even as an adult, like this feeling different somehow is t- attached to something negative and shifting that for our kids and for ourselves and thinking like, okay, we have this God that we cannot even begin to grasp. And God is a God of different, like look at nature, look at animals, look at humans, every human created in the image of God, every human is different. And if this is this is the heart of God, right? Uh-huh. And so instead of trying to avoid our differences, how do we teach our kids and ourselves to see them and to embrace them and to celebrate them? So it's a book encouraging that. I love that. It, 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 it almost puts, uh, it changes it from being different to you're each unique. Yeah. You know, we're each unique. And I love, I love this whole concept. And it's something that I've tried to teach my kids their entire lives is everybody's different. And so-and-so is going to have different challenges than you. Right. And that's, that's just how it is. And yeah. You're going to have different gifts than they are. And they're, you know, you can't compare that. Um, I love Eleanor Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. And, and, and so when we're comparing somebody else's strength to where we feel weak, it just, it, it makes us feel icky inside. And instead we need to celebrate Hey, look at that person. She wrote a New York Times bestselling children's <laughs> book. You know, how awesome is that? That is such an amazing gift that she has. And what a great message she has. And my message is similar, but different. And it's right. great. And it's right. okay, right? That, that we love and embrace these things which make us unique and different. And, and I wish, I wish we could get this message around the world because I think yeah. it would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> I think so too. And time, timely, I mean, I wrote the book for kids, but I'm like, man, adults, I need this message. You know, like the moms and dads reading and grandparents and caregivers reading this book. Um, I hope it's a message for everybody. And the thing that I think is so great about kids and starting this narrative shift with children is like that, that is when we learn things. And so if you walk into your kindergarten class and the messaging that you've had at home is one of everybody's different and it's great. And your teacher is sharing that messaging. And then this kid over here brings something to school to eat for lunch. That is like nothing you've ever seen before. Instead of having a, a reaction that's like, oh, what is that? Because I don't know it because it's different. It's like, oh my gosh, that's different. What is it? You know, like yeah. curiosity instead of judgment. Um, or this kid over here, why is this kid speaking, like flapping and yelling? It's like, oh, because they respond to the world differently than you do. Oh yeah, we're all different. So I think kids are so quick to adopt that idea. Um, if we, if we lay the foundation and invite them into it. So that's my hope for this book. I hope that it invites kids into a conversation of 
seeing their differences and saying, yeah, this is, it not only is it okay, it's great. So we're going to celebrate it and being curious instead of judgmental. Yeah, no. And I think you're right. I think uh, approaching it when they're kids is the best time to approach it. It's just transitioning that through those junior high years. And high God school. bless. <laughs> <laughs> and into adult hard work becomes a little more challenging because I think, mm-hmm. I think when people start to become self-conscious when their bodies change and stuff mm-hmm. like that, that's when we... Having, we start having a harder time accepting ourselves and that naturally flows outward. Does that make sense? Like, it does. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question then becomes how, how do we transition that everybody's different and it's okay mm-hmm. to when you're a teenager and then an adult? I don't know. Yeah. That, because that is, that's the problem we're struggling with right now as a world. Right. Right. how how do we bridge that i don't know it's tricky yeah do you have and, any thoughts well no i mean i do have thoughts and i don't know the answer my hope but okay i think about siblings uh to who people who have siblings with disabilities and those siblings that are neurotypical able-bodied bodied siblings know how to react and respond around other people with disability they do their whole life yes. so when they transition into junior high, maybe they're not going to be that all-inclusive accepting kid, but probably they are, you know, they are the, they become the people. I I just meet siblings and I think, oh my gosh, amazing. And it's because it's only always been for them, Mm -hmm. this idea of different. And so I, I think it needs to be foundational for our kids as they're growing up. And I know it, it's been in your home. It's been in my home. And because of that, my, my middle daughter, true, who doesn't, who is not disabled, she will interact. She'll be around people who are different enough to make her feel very uncomfortable, which is okay. That's also the conversation. Hey, it is. I feel uncomfortable when I'm around something that I'm unfamiliar with. Um, but I'm not going to let that unfamiliarity be the thing to separate, separate me from relationship because I know that it's just a difference that I'm unfamiliar with. And once I'm familiar, it no longer feels scary or makes me feel uncomfortable or nervous. So those, when you're having those conversations, it opens up opportunities that I'm, I'm trusting and not believing that when truly is in junior high interacts with someone with a disability or someone who eats different, has different foods or dresses different or whatever it might be. Um, because foundationally we've laid that for her. Mm-hmm. She will navigate those years more accepting and inclusive and loving and Christ-like for people who don't get that foundationally. I don't know. I think that we just, um, everybody just stays home through junior high. I think we cancel <laughs> junior high. <laughs> That's my, my advice. Cancel junior oh high. <laughs> no, I've been thinking about this as you've been talking about it. And I really, as I pondered it, I really think it's a matter of being exposed yeah. to people who are different. And so I've just been thinking about my kids being in public education and being incorporated into classes like my, my kiddos on the autism spectrum, especially my low functioning son was in choir class, you know, and did he sing like everybody else? No, but I tell you what, that kid can sing on pitch when nobody else is singing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but just being in the same class with these kids and, and, and being in the same room with them makes them less scary. I think just, just interacting with, people who are different on a daily basis, I think eventually you get more used to it. They're not as scary. So I think just, just being open to uh, go and talk to somebody or uh, somebody different, 
maybe if they can't communicate, like my son Nathan has a hard time communicating verbally, talking with his aide. Well, what does he like to do? You know, just finding out how they function. And, and, and it's okay to ask questions. Any mm-hmm. of us who are parents or caretakers of these uh, special needs kids are more than happy to answer yeah. questions. Yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we could have a whole conversation on inclusive spaces starting in our schools. And um, it's that proximity. It Proximity is what's going to lead to relationship. And if we don't, if we do not create spaces where we can be proximate to people who are different than us, to people with disabilities, um, as, as a collective humanity, we will be suffering because we don't know how to be around people who are different than us. And we don't know how to see goodness in other people. And that reflects on us. And as people who love Jesus, we will not know the fullness of God if we do not have disabled people in our lives. We will not. And that the church has got to like run to the front of the line to make this happen, you know, and it, and it will change the environment probably pretty radically and drastically, which I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever like heard about Jesus, but he stepped into spaces and changed them pretty radically and drastically. Um, so I, yeah, this is a huge on my heart and a big piece of our message and platform is inclusive. We have to have inclusive spaces and our schools and our churches have got to lead the way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind. Preach it. it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is really, really cool. Um, and I, I love, I love that this is your message. I love that you're targeting kids and, and that by targeting kids, you're also, I love how you said it's also going to impact the parents and the grandparents of those who are reading this book to them. So the message really is flowing to all ages that, Hey, we're unique and different. And, and God made us unique and different. Right. Let's be happy with that and celebrate it. And oh, this is awesome. So guys, this book, huge, huge shout out. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this. We are get, doing a giveaway of two of the copies of Heather's book. Different is a great thing to be. And I'm going to set this up on my website and on my social media platforms. We'll blast it out. And two of you lucky entries, people, how do I say that? (laughs) People who enter the drawing, (laughs) I'm having a hard time expressing myself, will be able to win a free copy. So um, we will put this out on social media. There will be a link you can click in my show notes and on Facebook and Instagram where you can go and, and win a free copy. So enter the drawing We'll have this open from today, August 4th, until August 11th. We'll do the drawing and announce the winners of the two copies of Heather's book. So be sure to enter the drawing. So Heather, through all these ups and downs, I just have to ask, have you found a favorite Bible verse that you'd like to share with us today that has become meaningful to you? I have. This Bible verse really um, entered my life towards the beginning of my infertility journey and rang true then and rings true now as, um, the word of God often does. (laughs) And so it's in first Thessalonians chapter five, verses 16 through 18. It says, rejoice, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love that. What, what did you find resonated the most when you were going through infertility? Um, Part of that scripture is the idea that 
like the do these things always and because this is God's will for you. And it, in those early years of infertility, it really, there was a moment also where I felt this idea that God is God, period. Um, God's goodness and love and all consuming holiness does not hinge on me getting pregnant or not. So God is God, period. So this idea of like, rejoice always because God is God. Pray continually because God is God. Um, and no, and then trusting that God's will for my life, he has the plan and his will for my life is going to be good because God is good, right? God is, God is goodness and love and light. And so that will be what unfolds. It was just a, I felt, I actually bring it up full circle to your podcast title. I felt pretty hopeless for a very long time. And I think that verse and that idea of God is God. Um, was a tiny little string of hope that I held. I just clutched onto for dear life for those few years. Mm, yeah. And sometimes that's the best thing we can do is, is when we don't see the future outcome, that hope thing, that thing that we're hoping for is just clinging to that hope. Um, even though we don't see it trusting that God does yeah. that, Everything will work out <laughs> and giving thanks in all circumstances. Oh, it's hard. hard. It's hard. Yeah. But it goes back it's hard to that. When like you're going through infertility. It's hard yes. when you've got kiddos who are struggling to make friends because they're different. Yeah. You know, it, there, there's hard, hard circumstances that we're going to go through and giving thanks. Oh, it's hard to give thanks when it's not fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I could be wrong in this, but I feel like, in the, like in the example of infertility, it's not even like, thank you God for infertility. It's like, thank you God that you are good, right? Like, thank you God that you are love. Thank you God that you are bigger than this. So I don't even know that it's like, thank you God for the, for this hard thing. No, no. Thank, Cause I think when we're hurting and broken, God is hurting and broken with us. And it's just, thank you God that you are God mm. period. Full stop. Mm. I love that. I love that. If nothing else, that is something huge to be grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Love it. Love it. All right. Have it. There, there's going to be people out there who are just loving what you've shared and who are wa- going to want to connect with you. Tell me how they can get a hold of you, uh, where they can follow you, and uh, where they can buy your books. <laughs> yeah. So we spent a decent amount of time on Instagram at the lucky few official and anything that we're doing will pop up there. Um, if you want to follow along and then heatheravis.com, you can find everything. There's a link to the book there. You can buy the book anywhere that sells books. Well, this has been so amazing. And before we close any last minute advice for people who are truly, really struggling right now. I, I would just say that it's okay. It's okay. Be gentle with yourself and gracious with yourself. And um, it's okay for things to be hard and it's okay to, to have to sit in that. And there, like I said earlier, there will be another side. Um, but I remember when I was feeling so frustrated and broken and hurt, I just didn't, I need, I needed people to try to stop fixing me, you know? So I think that's a word that someone needs to hear. It is okay where you're at right now. Well, I couldn't say it any better than that. So I think we'll just (laughs) close and say thank you so much for sharing your amazing wisdom and your journey. And thank you for sharing hope. 
with other some some people who are on the other side of where you are right now and just letting them know that you can get there too right yeah yeah <laughs> <Eventually>. absolutely yes <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.